I'm going to grab Bible, turn to Ephesians chapter 5. Over these last few weeks, we've been looking at just this uh, mystery, as the Bible calls it, this new body that uh, has come together in Jesus and in the world today that is so divided from worldly philosophies and worldly positions. It's the church of Jesus that can really shine as a light in this world. So we've just been looking through the book of Ephesians as Paul has used this word mystery And a mystery is not like a mystery dinner theater. We don't know what it is. A mystery is something that God has revealed to us in the course of history. So a mystery has been revealed in history, and the mystery has been revealed in Jesus. And the revelation was that in Christ, Jews and Gentiles come together, and even people who uh, had hated each other formerly come together in Christ. And so it's really a radical change in human relationships. It's the way we relate to one another based on the depth of our love and our devotion for the work that Jesus had accomplished on the cross for us. Paul says that it was there that he brought us together and destroyed the dividing wall. And it's also the effect of the Spirit's filling in our lives. And so Christ's love is a model. And so in Ephesians chapter 5, Paul uses uh, the illustration of marriage uh, to illustrate how this works with Jesus. And so uh, marriage is a metaphor for this relationship of Jesus and the church. So starting at verse 21, he says, Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body, For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother, be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, and this is where Paul uses that term. But he says, I am talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. So Paul is trying to, in human terms, give an illustration of what is Jesus' relationship to the church. And then he takes that relationship and applies it to the most intimate of all relationships, which is that between the husbands and wives. Now, I know in our modern ears, when we hear wives submit to your husbands, it's a little uh, strange sometimes to our modern thinking. But Paul used a different term than would have been used at that time. In the Greco-Roman world, the rule, uh, the household code was husbands rule your wives. And it was a, a domineering kind of thing. And so even in Paul's day, he changes it to submit. We're going to talk about that in just a minute. And so he says, what is, the, what is the basis for our relationships with one another? It's Christ's love for the church. And so what Paul does is he elevates a husband's love far above what society says a husband, how a husband should love his wife. In fact, a husband should go uh, forego his own comfort and his own safety, even to the point of death. Uh, giving himself up for his beloved. And so Christ gave himself up for the church. And so that heart of Christianity is Jesus' sacrifice in our place. No one can repeat that saving act. We don't repeat the act of salvation. But what Paul says is that Jesus' life is a model of self-sacrifice. That we even go so far as to give up our physical life for the sake of another. Why did he do that? Paul says to present this bride, this church, without stain or wrinkle or blemish, holy 
and blameless, to present her as radiant. Only Christ can make his bride pure. And so this mystery that Paul's talking about is that God's divine plan that no human mind could know unless he revealed it has now been revealed. And so the relationship between husband and wife shows us what the relationship between Jesus and the church is. And we forget that sometimes, that Jesus has a relationship with the church. If you are a born-again believer, if you are in Christ, you are the bride of Christ, and you have this relationship with him uh, because that's what he has with his people. In Genesis 2.24, it says, This is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. Now, in the pre fall genesis chapter one and genesis chapter two there was this unity that god created he created humanity with unity and an objective purpose humanity was not supposed to be an eternal conflict we see that all around us today the result of the fall is conflict but when god created the world genesis one and genesis two he created us with a purpose and that purpose was to have unity one another to love our neighbor as ourselves in fact jesus says that in matthew 5 44 i tell you love your enemies and pray for those who persecute persecute you and then in matthew 22 he says uh, when he's asked what the greatest commandment is core 52 you're in that chapter this week he says the first one is what love the lord your god with all your what heart mind soul and strength and the second is this to love your neighbor as yourself love for one another is the basis of why we were created Did you know without God, there is no objective purpose for the existence of humanity? The atheist has no grounds to stand on for saying anything is good or bad or right or wrong, let alone what is evil. There is no basis without God for knowing what our purpose is. Oh, it's defined by society, but that can change, right? As society changes, but we have this eternal purpose in our lives that we are created for unity with one another and so we begin with the biblical story where in genesis 1 and genesis 2 it it occurs before the fall and so god's story think about this begins with what the standpoint of god's ultimate desire rather than with the needs of fallen human beings we often start the biblical story as this we are sinners and we need saved and jesus saves us from our sins But when we present the biblical story as that, we are jumping in partway through the story. Genesis 1 and Genesis 2 is, here's God's ultimate desire. That God's ultimate desire is for humanity to be in unity. That is his purpose. That is his desire. His desire, after sin came into the world, is that he would save us. But in God's original creation, the purpose for which he created humankind was what? Sacrificial love. To love one another, as Paul talked in Ephesians 5, to lay down our lives for one another. And it moves from a human-centered gospel to a God-centered gospel and purpose. You see, a human-centered purpose says, we are sinners, we need saved. But here's God's story and God's purpose, is God created us for unity. And man will what? Leave his father and his mother and what? Become one flesh. Adam and Eve were not created in the need of salvation. That came in Genesis 3 and on. So there was a purpose that God had for creating us that was not for the purpose of saving souls. The purpose was what? It was the the unity of humanity. Genesis 1 and 2 are mirrored in Revelation 21 and 22. You know those four chapters are unique in the Bible? There is no sin or corruption in them. So 
four chapters out of hundreds of chapters, there's no sin and corruption. Genesis 1 and 2 are before the fall. Revelation 21, 22, right after the fall, when the fall is erased. And so it gives us a clue as to what God's eternal purpose is. And God's eternal purpose, listen, is the church of Jesus Christ. That is a new humanity. That is why God did this whole thing. Why on the very beginning, it says, in the beginning, God, what, created the heavens and the earth. Why did he create the heavens and the earth? Because of you, if you are in the church. He created all of this for the church. All of this for his glory through the church. There was a story about a little boy in Sunday school about how God, uh, the teacher was talking about how God created everything, including human beings. And little Johnny was a child in the kindergarten class, and he seemed especially intent when the teacher told how Eve was created out of one of Adam's ribs. Later in the week, Johnny's mother noticed him lying down as though he were dying and ill. And she said to him, Johnny, what's the matter? And Johnny was holding his side. He said, I think I'm having a wife. <laughs> Genesis 2, 21 and 22 says this. The Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. Now, if you are actually in a physical Bible that has footnotes, and next to that word rib, there's a little note. And down at the bottom of the footnote, it says this, out of his side. Here's literally what God did. God took the side of Adam. He didn't, like, yank out a rib and, you know. He, it was literally the side of God, of Adam, that God, what? Pulled out the woman. So when God, listen, when God created Adam, what was in him already? A woman. He gave, he gave birth, in a sense, to a woman. God created from his side. And that's what happens in the church. Jesus is what? The second Adam. And what was in Jesus? A woman. And that woman is the church. And we were God's eternal purpose from the beginning of time. Let's look at what Paul says about Christ in the church. He's the head of the church. He loved the church and gave himself up for her. He makes the church holy, radiant, and blameless without stain, wrinkle, or blemish. He is wed to the church. And so Jesus has this special relationship to the church. So you look around, and, and even though we're in this fallen world where things are going chaotic, and you look back and say, God, why did you create all this? Listen, God wasn't lonely. He didn't create it out of need. It was Father, Son, Holy Spirit in perfect unity. They were in harmony and loving and, uh, and, 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 be, and in a being together. So God didn't create because he was lonely. He created out of an eternal purpose, and that eternal purpose is the church. The church is the reason God created all of this. And we are part of that church. We are blessed to be part of that church. This is God's eternal purpose. This is the mystery. This is where everything is headed. It's where it's all come from and where it is all heading. It is the church of Jesus. And so that's why I want to close up our time together with just talking about the church. You and I are part of the church. And this is the reason that God created. This is the reason that Jesus came. We are the bride of Christ. We've come out of the side of Jesus on the day of Pentecost. The church was born. And so using the relationship of husband and wife, as Paul talks about that in relation to the church, I really just want to give us a charge for all of us who are part of the church of some ways that we live in relationship to Jesus. Of some ways, because of this illustration of marriage, that all of us are called to live as we are the bride of Christ and as we look to Jesus. And the first way is this. It is submission. 
Paul says that in verse 21, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And then he goes and he talks about, yes, wives submitting to your husband, but we submit to one another. Galatians 5.13, Paul says this, you, my brothers, were called to be free, but did not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. How different would the world be if we submitted to one another? How different would the church be if we submitted to one another? Think about all the church fights and fumings and things that, that we've seen through the years. Why is it? It's because somebody didn't get their way. They just didn't get their way. So they got mad and they left or they took a bunch of people with them. I mean, that's what happened because why we're not submitting to one another. If Jesus is my Lord, I submit to him and then I submit to one another. And that's the reason Paul didn't say husbands rule your wives because submission is always voluntary. You can't, you can't force somebody to submit because submit is an attitude of the heart. It's an attitude of the will. It's like the little girl who was told to sit down because she was standing up in class and the teacher kept berating her and finally the girl sat down. She said, teacher, I just want you to know I'm standing up in my heart. And that's what we do with Jesus, right? We grudgingly do the thing, but we're still standing up in our heart. And so Paul says, this is the relationship, Jesus, we submit to him. And what does that mean? It's a voluntary act of surrender. Not my will, but yours be done. Oh, man, isn't that hard? That is so tough. We all want it our way. We want it, our, our will to be done. Listen, my way is not the way. My way is a way, but my way is not the way. So we submit. As we are relate, related to uh, Jesus in this covenant, as we are related to him as the bride of Christ, we submit to him. The second way that we relate to Jesus is through sacrificial love. There's a story about a lady in Spain. She made the news when she chose a unique way to test her husband's love. With the help of a friend, she manipulated her own kidnapping and sent a ransom note to her husband. When the police discovered the kidnapping was a hoax, they asked the lady why she did it, and she said this, I wanted to find out what my husband would do for me, she replied. Ladies, I wouldn't recommend that. You may be disappointed. You may be surprised. <laughs> but here's what Jesus did for us. He gave up his life for us. If you want to know what your husband, as the church, as Jesus did for you, he died for you. And that's what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 5. In John 15, Jesus said this. My command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. When you love the body, Jesus, Paul said in Ephesians 5, you love yourself. When you love others, you love yourself. The goal of our discipleship is to love people. That's the goal of discipleship. We can't love God if we don't love people because we can't see God physically, but we see people physically. And the way that we demonstrate our love for God is how we love others, even our enemies, even those we don't like. I heard years ago, um, uh, there was a Christian uh, guy, Dowd, he became the teacher of the year one year. And he said this, you love Jesus as, most, as much as the person you love the least. Our love for Jesus, we always measure by our siblings or our, our spouses and our, our parents. But think about the person you love the least. That's, how, that's really how much you love Jesus. And it's a challenge. Why? Because it's sacrificial love. Sacrifice is what, what Jesus did for us. And so he laid down his life. There is something so empowering about sacrifice. We talked about that last week, that the, the world wants us to feel like everybody's relationship is based on power, 
But that's not the only way that we relate. In fact, that's very rarely the way that we relate. There, the, one of the ways that we relate is by sacrifice. And that story of sacrifice moves us and it stirs us. You've seen the movies, World War II movies, right? Uh, the, the, the guy lays down his life and he charges in so that his, his, uh, his uh, friends can be saved. That moves us. That's what Jesus is supposed to do for us. Sacrificial love. Sacrificial love means we lay, we lay down and we sacrifice. We, we give up a, a, a future thing, potentially, for the moment right now where we can love people. The third way that Paul reminds us as a charge in the body of Christ, as the bride of Christ, is faithfulness. We are wed to Christ. Jesus is wed to us. In fact, he said, as we are members of his body, in verse 31, for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. You leave and you cleave. You leave your parents as you get married, and you cleave to your spouse. There are, uh, in, in, mar- in, in some marriages, there are three people involved. And I don't mean the spiritual thing, you know, husband, wife, and Jesus. In some marriages, there's husband, wife, and mother-in-law. Or husband and wife and best friend. Or husband and wife and nosy neighbor, right? There's a third person involved. And if you've ever been in a relationship like that, you know it doesn't work real well. Because you've never left. And you're still, you have a divided loyalty. That's why Paul says part of this commitment is the leaving. You cut the apron strings. You leave and now you cleave to your spouse. Yes, you can go back to your parents for advice. Yes, you can ask your friends for advice. But if that person is an integral part of that relationship, it ends up in trouble. And that's what God has called us to do. He's using that same verse and that same illustration for our relationship with the church is that this is a profound mystery said i'm talking about jesus and the church and so what does that mean that means we leave and we cleave we leave whatever's holding us back in the world whatever it is that is in, is interfere with our relationship with christ it's a faithfulness to him what was the number one thing through the old testament that god always faulted the people for idolatry it was spiritual adultery is what it was That something came between their relationship and God's relationship. And God did not stand for that. And it's the same way in the New Testament. Uh, Jesus doesn't want us to be unfaithful. Serving other gods. Serving other things. Trusting other things. There was a little boy who said to his grandmother. He said, I'm so happy to see you. Now maybe daddy will do the trick that he's been promising for us. And the grandmother was curious. And she said, well, what trick is that? And he said, I heard him tell mommy that he would climb the walls if you came to visit. (laughs) Be careful what you tell kids. They will repeat it eventually. That gets interferes with our relationships, right? And so we leave and we we cleave. In Mark chapter 1, verse 16 to 18, as Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. And the verse right next to it says this. At once, they left their nets and they followed him. You see, when Jesus calls us to follow, he wants faithfulness. 
And so their nets, was, it was even their way of living. They gave that up to follow Jesus. But here's what we do. We want to pull the net with us. I'm coming, Jesus. I'm coming, Jesus. I'm coming. And whatever that net is, is holding us back. It could be some besetting sin. It could be some relationship. It could be some idol that we have in our life. It could be a hobby, family, work, even good things. It's that thing that we're trying to drag. Jesus, I'm coming, I'm coming. And it slows us down and it, it, it hinders our growth. And so Jesus is saying, I want some faithfulness. I want you to be loyal to me. When I say follow, I want you to follow when I say go, I want you to go. When I ask you to obey, I want you to obey. When I ask you to love, I simply want you to love. There was a young girl, and she wanted to go to her college, but her heart sank on the questionnaire when the application asked, are you a leader? And being both honest and conscientious, she wrote no. And she returned the application expecting the worst. And then, to her surprise, she received a letter from the college, and it said this, dear applicant, a study of the application forms reveals that this year our college will have 1,452 new leaders. We are accepting you because we feel it is imperative that they have at least one follower. <laughs> Isn't that true? We follow Jesus and we say, yeah, I want to be the boss. And uh, Jesus, I want to tell you what to do. Or we follow other people and Jesus said, wait a minute, you're, you're married to me and you're wed to me. And I want your faithfulness to be faithfulness, complete faithfulness in me. And so as we entertain other things, as we find our security or our worth or our value, whatever it is in other things, we set up those idols in our lives and we are being unfaithful to Jesus. And sometimes we only think of sin as being unfaithful to Jesus. And yes, sin definitely is being unfaithful to him. But think about all the other ways that we are unfaithful to him. We buy in the philosophies of the world. We, buy, we have... Uh, faulty uh, thinking about who God is, even the good things in our lives, that we, that we feel like we, we are workaholics because we're supposed to be working all the time to the neglect of our families. And we are then being unfaithful to Jesus' call to follow him completely. How many times in the Bible did Jesus call someone to move and leave and they left? The Bible says Abraham got up and he didn't even know where he was going. Imagine you packed your tent on your camel and you started walking and somebody says, hey, where are you going? I don't know. Really? We saw a guy the other day had a sign at the intersection and said, travel in, without the G, travel in, need help. And he had his dog and some backpack and some other things right there on the corner. And I bet he didn't know where he was going either. He was just getting enough to go to the next stop. But Jesus calls us to follow him, to be, to be faithful to him. And there is this faithfulness that Jesus wants. And so, so Jesus is calling all of us to be submissive, to have this sacrificial love, to be faithful to him. That's my charge for us as we are living in the church and we are part of the church, no matter where we may be or where we end up, is that we all would submit to Jesus, have sacrificial love for one another, to be faithful to Jesus. That's all, that's what he wants from us. I said Genesis 21 and 22 at the end of the Bible have the place where the sin is all cleaned up. And here's what we read. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. Prepared as what? What does that say, church? A bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. 
They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. You see what happens in Genesis 1 and 2? God's purpose was, the, was a unity of humanity. What's happening now at the end after the curse has been erased? Well, he just said that God himself will be with them and be with their God. There's this being, there's this place where God moves into the neighborhood and we live with him. And it's back to that unity of chapter 1 and chapter 2 in Genesis. And so the church is God's eternal purpose. We have a high privilege to be part of the church of Jesus Christ. Don't ever take the church for granted. Don't ever take this bride of Christ for granted. In Revelation 21, at the very beginning of that passage, it said there was no longer any sea. I remember the first Sunday that I preached here, I talked about no longer any sea. And you know what the sea is in the Bible? It's a metaphor for humanity, for the chaos and the, and the turmoil of humanity. If you've seen the news lately about the hurricane hitting Texas, what, is, what does the sea look like? It is just roiling and broiling and churning. And it doesn't that, uh, describe humanity since Genesis chapter 3. It is roiling and broiling and churning, and it's always in conflict. And the sea is a metaphor for humanity. Even through the book of Revelation, it's the image of humanity. And now, at the end, there's no longer any sea. Why? Because there's no longer any chaos. There's no longer any humanity that is in chaos and in friction and and roiling and broiling. All of that is done. Why? Because God's ultimate purpose is fulfilled. Those who are in Christ now are part of that. There's no more churning. There's just a bride and Jesus. You know that old hymn, The Church is One Foundation? The church's one foundation is Jesus Christ, her Lord. She is his new creation by water and the word. From heaven he came and sought her to be his holy bride. With his own blood he bought her, and for her life he died. That's what Jesus did for us. He gave up his life so we could be the bride of Christ, so that we could have this relationship with Christ with God in Christ and, and and fulfill and start that movement toward the end of all time. There was a man in Algiers and he sought twenty thousand dollars in damages for the psychological suffering he was enduring after he endured after waking up from his honeymoon with an ugly bride. The lawsuit was filed the day after the wedding when the groom claimed that his wife defrauded him by wearing heavy makeup until the morning after the wedding. <laughs> Listen, if you're part of the church, there's no chance that Jesus is going to wake up to an ugly bride. The church, what does he do? It says he presents her holy and blameless and spotless, without wrinkle or blemish. We will be adored in the robes of his righteousness. On that day, the bride of Christ will never be more beautiful. We simply need to be ready. The end of Revelation. Hallelujah for the Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory for the what? The wedding of the lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. We are, at, we are the bride of Christ. We are to be submissive and sacrificial and faithful. And as we do those things, we are making ourselves ready so that when Jesus returns or when we pass, into the, uh, pass away from this life, And then Jesus returns. (laughs) We are this beautiful bride. There's a documentary years ago. Remember back in the 80s, Princess Diana and Prince Charles? That seems like a long time ago, but that big wedding, remember? And she was talking about this wedding, and 
and how nervous she was. And, and, you know, part of it was she knew he had a mistress on the side. That would really ruin your wedding day, right? Knowing that your husband had a mistress. But the horror, she said, I got out of the carriage and this dress kept coming out and coming out and coming out. And she said it was wrinkled. You know those people worked for days with the irons, getting that thing all nice and pressed. But when they shoved it all in the carriage and then she popped out like the jack in the box, it was all wrinkled and she was horrified. Listen, that's not going to happen to us when Jesus returns. All those wrinkles, all those blemishes, all those spots. Romans chapter 8 says, we wait in eager expectation for the redemption of our bodies. All this stuff of this life, we will be redeemed. And Jesus will finally have his bride perfect and pure and spotless. Johnny Erickson Tata had a terrible accident that left her a quadriplegic. You may have heard her on the radio, Johnny and Friends. She's done movies and books. In spite of her physical limitations, she became an accomplished author and artist. For her wedding day, she planned to come down the center aisle in her motorized wheelchair. Just before the grand entrance, she noticed two distressing problems. First, she had rolled over her beautiful gown and made a big grease spot and a tear in it. Then the flowers in her lap had slipped and had lodged between her leg and the chair. She was filled with disappointment, and then suddenly the auditorium doors opened, and she saw her husband-to-be. Here was a man who was committing his life to her. And Johnny said, once I saw Ken's face, all I could think of was him. Everything else, the people in the church, the flowers that were sitting a little askew on my lap, the fact that my dress didn't fall right because I was sitting in a wheelchair, the grease marks, the rip in my gown, all of it paled in comparison. Brothers and sisters, when we see Jesus, it's all going to pale. It's all going to pale. For now, we live between Genesis 3 and Revelation 20. But one of these days, the bridegroom's going to appear. Amen? And we're going to be taken as the bride of Christ. And so with all the falls and the, uh, the, the flaws and faults of the bride right now, one of the days the scales will be set straight. Don't give up hope. Hang on. Keep being the bride of Christ. Be faithful to him. Sacrificially love him and one another. Submit to him as you submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. When we see Jesus... He will be all that matters. We make life about so much else. We make church about so much else. But church is about Jesus. Church is about the bridegroom coming for his bride. And we are to make ourselves ready. We are to be a prepared people. And when Jesus returns, the ultimate wedding day will happen. Will you be submissive, faithful, sacrificially loved? Let's stand and pray. Father, we thank you for the bride that you have created in the church. It's that great mystery. We've made life about so much else, but it's ultimately about the bride, about your relationship with us through Jesus. So, Father, would we be a prepared people that we would submit to Jesus? Not my will, but his will. Submit to one another as we serve. Father, that we would sacrificially love Jesus to give up those very hard things and to walk in those ways that are very difficult. Would we sacrificially love others to put their needs ahead of ours? Father, would we be faithful to Jesus 
and not allow idols and gods with a little g to become part of our lives. And Father, would we be faithful to one another in your church, committed and reliable. So Father, over these next few moments, we just have an opportunity to recommit, to maybe retake our wedding vows with Jesus, that he is our bride and we are the bridegroom. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.